Hoosier United Methodist Podcast, episode number 12, with Charlie Round from the Central District. And what I do is I come in and I basically lay out options for the church. I don't make decisions for them. I don't, I don't give them ultimatums that this is what they need to do. But basically I give them options and I'll say, you know, if you do A, then here's what's going to happen. B is what's going to happen. And C, I'll tell them which one I think that they ought to do. But at the end, it's their church. It's their congregation. And they need to decide the direction that they're going to take this in. This is Reverend Charles Harrison, Senior Pastor of Barnes United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, and you are connected to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. that a strong connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to achieving the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The Hoosier United Methodist Podcast will help you and your church connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from successful pastors and people making a difference in United Methodist Churches in Indiana. And now, here's Brad. Hello, hello, hello again, everybody. This is Dr. Brad Miller with the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast, where our mission is to strengthen the relationships and the connection in the United Methodist Church in Indiana as we seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Today, we have a great guest with us. It is Charlie Round. Charlie is on the staff of the Central District of the United Methodist Church in Indiana. However, he has found himself serving all around our annual conference in a very, very special capacity. Charlie is a layperson related to St. Mark's United Methodist Church in Carmel, and he's been a part of that church for some time. But his relationship to our Central District and our annual conference has to do with the area of legality. Charlie is a uh, former FBI agent, and he also works in the security field with the NFL and in particular with the Indianapolis Colts NFL team. But he also is on the staff of the Central District and works for our conference in the area of dealing with our churches in the area of legal matters, areas of law enforcement, and areas having to do with financial issues, both those things that are just training and helpful areas, but also areas where there has been uh, abuses of uh, local church finances and sometimes even legal issues. He helps with areas of compliance. Unfortunately, in our day and age, He has been a busy guy. He has had to deal with a number of situations around our state, and perhaps some of you have been uh, had the pleasure of being with Charlie. He's a great guy, a lot of fun to be with, but he deals with important, important, important topics that we in our churches have to be aware of. So that's going to be our conversation today. A little bit later on, uh, Reverend Andy Kenzie from the Grace United Methodist Church in, uh, in Franklin will have our Methodist moment. So a lot of things to get to. Let's get into them here on the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast. And welcome again to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast, where we strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church in the state of Indiana. Our special guest today is 
Charles or Charlie Round, who's the associate superintendent of the Central District of the Indiana Conference United Methodist Church, which basically encompasses the metropolitan Indianapolis area. Charlie has just a really varied background in law enforcement, security. He's worked works with the with the uh, with the NFL Colts and with the NFL. In the last few years, he's worked in the United Methodist Church in Indiana in matters regarding legal things, financial things, compliance, all kinds of fun stuff that we sometimes have to deal with in the, in the, in the church. And he's been with us for a couple of years now and uh, is doing a great job at that. And uh, Charlie, welcome to the podcast. And uh, just tell us just a little bit about you and how you ended up in this position. Uh, well, thank you, Brad. It's uh, a pleasure to be here. And uh, yes, it's it, an interesting journey. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to be uh, hired by the FBI back in 1987. Started my journey in the St. Louis area. Spent four years there as a special agent working mostly in East St. Louis, Illinois. Uh, at that point there, uh, the Bureau said it was time to move. So off we went to the Detroit, Michigan area up to Flint. Oh. Spent eight, nine years in Flint working mostly public corruption and white-collar crime. Opportunity presented itself to come to Indianapolis in 1998. Uh, jumped at it because it uh, was a neat opportunity, and plus it was a, a chance to kind of get to a little bit bigger city in as much as I was assigned to the Flint office in Michigan. Uh, moved here in 98. Uh, was fortunate enough to uh, basically uh, manage the white-collar crime squad, which uh, dealt with kind of white-collar crime issues throughout the state of Indiana. And uh, back in 2010, uh, it was time to move to Washington, D.C. At that point there, Indiana had become home for us, so I turned down the, the promotion, stepped out of the management program, and then the last little kind of piece of the puzzle for the FBI was I had an opportunity to uh, work exclusively and extensively on the Super Bowl when it was here in town. At the conclusion of that, the FBI has a mandatory retirement component, and I was approached by Bert Kite, who at that time was the pastor, or previously been the pastor of our church. Uh, my wife and I and our family go to St. Mark's Carmel uh, at 126th and Gray Road, and he said, you know, Charlie, I'd like to introduce you to someone in our world, and it's who was Jennifer Gallagher, who was the previous uh, CFO uh, of the conference here. And we'd begun a conversation saying, basically, currently, you know, the, the church, as like any other business, has issues and problems with folks that are either trying to scam us or uh, trying to steal from us and or dealing with security type issues. And they said, would you be willing to come on and help us address those things? So the long story short is I uh, left the uh, FBI in April of 2012 and started with the Indiana Methodist Church in May of 2012 and have been here ever since. That must have been a pretty big change for you, I would have to assume. It was a huge change just from the standpoint of going from the government <laughs> for 25 years to the uh, to the conference and in having a um, uh, an opportunity to work everything that the government kind of provided me was a nice nice change or challenge to kind of translate those things here to help out the conference mm -hmm. and it's been very rewarding over the last four years I've had an opportunity to meet a lot of people and uh, unfortunately they have an opportunity to deal with some issues that we've had to deal with but that's right. the direction we're going in yeah well that need was apparently there mm -hmm. I want to speak to that here or for when you to speak to that here in just a minute but just to get a little background in terms of so you 
went into your career with the intention of being the FBI and law enforcement long term. Is that fair? That is correct. I have actually, I have a business degree from Ohio State. Uh, spent about four years in the metals industry selling aluminum, brass, and copper to manufacturers in northeastern Ohio. Met the gentleman in charge of the Canton, Ohio FBI office, and he said, have you ever thought about law enforcement and being an agent? And um, I had kind of toyed with the idea but had never really explored it. Then once I met him, then, yeah, for the next 25 years, that was my life and my livelihood, and um, it gave me an opportunity to obtain a lot of training and to, to do a lot of different things throughout the Midwest and throughout the nation, and we landed here, as I said, in Indianapolis as kind of our final tour of duty, so to speak, as we right. were working around the country. Well, I just part of what I'm getting at is that sometimes things track one way in our lives, and mm-hmm. things change. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this opportunity came for you, and seems to come at an opportune time for you, and also for the needs in our annual conference, but seems like a piece of that would have been your relationship and your connection to your local church where some of these things happened. Tell me a little bit about your connection to your local church and how maybe there was some sort of a God thing involved with this mm-hmm. transition. <clears throat> sure. It was, you know, as I said, as we kind of worked throughout the Midwest in our career, I actually was born and raised in the Lutheran Church. Okay. Uh, my wife was in the Methodist Church, and uh, when we got married, was married in the Methodist Church, and so basically I married a Methodist, and then I came. Okay. And as we then uh, transferred or traversed the Midwest, we were joining Methodist churches as we were in each of our spots. My wife spent most of the time, uh, she was our, the Christian ed coordinator at every stop that we were at, so we were, we were pretty much clicked into the into the, the Methodist Church world. Uh, when we came to Indianapolis, uh, our, really one of our first goals is is that we we start visiting churches and we kind of look at all the Methodist churches in the area that we were at and and started kind of sorting through. And that was where we had the opportunity to meet Bert Kite. And when we went to the church, Bert actually had just either shortly there before or pretty recent had had become the the lead pastor at St. Mark's. And so we incorporated into the church uh, our friends and you know family members were there this was the first place we ever moved where we actually had some family members here and we started that relationship and as a result of that relationship over the 8 to 10 to 12 years that we were there previous than when Bert moved on was a an opportunity that kind of then brought me into this second career as we like to say um, because I had had made because I had made those relationships uh, through our church and our church community and then that kind of allowed me to transfer my skills set to what the conference needs um, as we kind of work on to the future as, as we're dealing with these things. So as I like to say, the government trained me in a lot of different areas, and the church has now become the beneficiary of it. Oh, that's, a, that's a cool way of, of uh, mm-hmm. looking at it and, and referring to it as well. So you were pretty well involved with the life of the church on many levels, then, weren't you? I mean, were you on uh, various teams or committees mm-hmm. or leadership in different ways? Tell me a little, a little bit about that. I've actually served on every single committee and or leadership function of the church with the exception of staff parish. And okay. the reason being is my wife was always on staff for every place, and so they always say, hey, you can't supervise your wife, which is probably a good idea. Sure. And um, so, yes, I've, I've done stewardship, I've done finance, I've done trustees, um, worship. I mean, you're just a whole cornucopia. We've also taught Sunday school. So I was clicked in. And what we always discovered as we moved around the country is 
as I said previously, first and foremost, we would we would find a church home um, that always ended up having our best friends there. I have friends from Michigan who I continually are in contact with, we visit with all the time, who I met playing church softball. In Illinois, we have friends that we continue to exchange Christmas cards with as we because we were always the people moving away, and that was just the the what you kind of bought into with the government and the FBI. So we unfortunately were having to say goodbye to people, but our church connections here in Indiana as well as across the Midwest have maintained our strong faith and values and our friendships to folks uh, as we've kind of moved around. Yeah, and so so uh, part of what I'm getting at is those relationships have built, but you're also well-versed in how uh, a number of local churches worked Mm -hmm. and understood that there was different dynamics going on within, within the church and had some under, you know, an understanding of conference relationships right. and these these types of things and and so you came to this position not really you know hired as an outsider to do this particular job but you had some investment from mm-hmm. within and, and that's that, that, that's an accurate statement I think the the part that made the transition easiest for me is in as much as I understood the security world and the dynamics behind that I also also understood the church hierarchy world, and not necessarily on the annual com- oh, no, on the uh, the conference level, because um, I just didn't have a lot of contact. But on the local church level, right. I understood the structure. Yes, some of our committees are named different at different churches. Some uh-huh. are called ad councils. Some are called you know you know church councils or whatever. But I understood the workings, and I think that gave me a leg up as when we were discussing financial issues or we're talking HR issues and things like that. I have a pretty good working understanding of how our churches are set up. Now, your role, your position is the associate superintendent, one of the associate superintendents of the Central District and the Indiana Conference, and yet you're not clergy and you have not served in lay ministry roles other than, of course, as as an involved lay person, and yet you come to us with this background in law enforcement. To the best of my knowledge, at least, we don't have any other person like you and any other district staff around the state and not many that I know of around the country. So what in your eye, or tell me a little bit, what precipitated the need for a person such as yourself to come on a staff relationship? You're actually accurate in your assessment that I am am the only person in the state of Indiana serving this role for our denomination. I'm not even aware of other ones, but that's not to say they don't exist. I had an opportunity through the conference to give an address to the kind of CFOs of the Methodist church world that was hosted here in Indianapolis, and I was the only one of the 30 or so conferences that were represented that uh, have a position like me dedicated to that. So yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a groundbreaking um, I guess uh, position uh, that uh, Bert Kite and Jennifer Gallagher, you know, saw fit and put it together. Well, let's but, unpack that a little bit about mm-hmm. what are some of the roles. So, what are some of the, what do you do? There's, There's the need here. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit about the need and then how the roles that you're playing meet those mm-hmm. needs. Well, unfortunately, the the need is what you read in the newspapers every day. When I was with the FBI, I worked probably a half a dozen cases in which we had uh, individuals who were stealing from churches. And, that's, and I, I boil that down to financially. They had figured a scheme or some sort of way to scam our churches out of their money. 
when when we had the initial discussions about this position and what I've been doing basically for the last four years, you can kind of divide it into three areas. The first area is a financial irregularity area. If one of our churches discovers that they have some sort of financial irregularity and whether that's missing funds, we have uh, employees that are, are uh, taking you know uh, funds from us that you know aren't, they're not due to them. I help kind of shepherd that church through the system from the standpoint of dealing with law enforcement, uh, dealing with, you know, here's what the expectations are, here's what you need to look at, insurance companies, and it's a, a facilitator function to kind of help our churches because oftentimes it will happen to a church once, but it's not happening 15 times. Yeah. So each time I go to a church, it's it's in an initial, here's what you need to look at, here's what you need to think about, here's the direction this thing's going to go in, and oh, by the way, here's what law enforcement's response is going to be. So that's one third of the puzzle. The second third of the puzzle is I do a lot of church security work. And that is basically I go into their facilities, have a conversation, look around, talk with our trustees and sometimes our building managers, and how is it best to secure our buildings. Unfortunately, you've heard around the country where we've had folks that have done harm to different congregations and and um, to different people. And so we kind of talk through those things, building vulnerabilities. And then the third piece that I, I have uh, been also kind of tasked with or have been involved with is I give presentations to our elderly groups, our senior citizen groups, oftentimes Sunday schools, and I discuss with them that there's not a rich Nigerian out there with five, <laughs> with five million dollars waiting to send it to them and um, help them try to address an issue before it becomes out of control. And so adding those three pieces together, that, that pretty much uh, defines what my role is here, and, um, and I do it for the district for the most part, but I also do it on a conference level. Hey, really, your, your reach is extended through the whole state. That is correct. And if you, and by extension, you mentioned some training and such mm-hmm. that's even gone beyond that. Correct. So it seems like, unfortunately, you've been kept busy, haven't you? I'm the fireman. Basically, yeah. the bell goes off, and, and then I, I try to help put a fire out, and then we try to do fire prevention. Right. And so, yes, it is. Uh, I mean, there's we, been enough inc- incidents that have happened that it's been a... a You've been busy, and there's been you think many things you've had to care for. Unfortunately, that's an accurate statement. Uh, you know, I always used to reference it. It's a recession-proof business. Um, you would always hope that we would not have to deal with these issues here, but this is just what life and society has presented us. And so, I think we're trying to do the best that we can to to address these issues. But yes, there is a, there has been a, a need for it and a continuing need. Unfortunately. Hmm. Tell us about a time when you came into a church. Tell us about the kind of the emotional and mental state that happens to a church that this, uh, both the staff and the people and even the community, give us kind of lay out a scenario for us. What is going on when, when there's been a major financial, let's just use that example, financial issue that's happened? It, 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 it's always troublesome for the church to kind of grasp at the initial onset that this has happened to them. And I always tell churches that you need to define the issue and not let the issue define you. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes our congregations struggle with that. The second thing they really struggle with is that oftentimes it's somebody that they know, someone that has been a trusted position, and they have and they struggle with the concept that this person has somehow financially harmed them and they, they have a hard time wrapping their, their minds around it. I always explain to them that, you know what, yes, we need to have compassion, but at the same time, we have to have accountability. 
and and I think that's where the balance is they sometimes struggle with as well as how do we deal with the issue but how do we make them accountable and and I think that's the struggle that every church goes through so we not only have the legal issues mm-hmm. we have emotional uh, stuff and relationship stuff and community dynamics mm-hmm. and all kinds of things going right on. and what I do is I come in and I basically lay out options for the church. I don't make decisions for them. I don't, I don't give them ultimatums that this is what they need to do. But basically, I give them options. And I'll say, you know, if you do A, then here's what's going to happen. B is what's going to happen. And C, I'll tell them which one I think that they ought to do. But at the end, it's their church. It's their congregation. And they need to decide the direction that they're going to take this in. The, the part I think they also struggle with is, is that they really want to go away quickly. They don't want it to, to as I said, define them so that, you know, we live in a, a media day. We live in all these uh, different avenues where information can get out. And oftentimes they say, well, we don't want to live with this for six months or a year from now. But unfortunately, when you work through the legal system, that's just the nature of the beast. And I think churches struggle with the fact is that they feel like it's death by a thousand cuts. Hmm. We have the initial indication that it has occurred. They go through the investigation. They go through a media component when the person is maybe arrested or, you know, surrenders. And then they go through it again at sentencing. And and that's just a, a tough, tough avenue for churches. And then the last piece of the puzzle is it's the, the after thought and it's well how did so and so let this happen and not necessarily the the alleged perpetrator but it's didn't we have somebody in place to watch this and those were our funds and and oftentimes I've discovered that churches need to be cognizant and careful that we don't divide our churches on a he said, she said, what have we done this kind of thing? It's it's we need to focus that somebody has done something to the church and how are we going to react to it? it, it it's a it's a difficult time. Um, there are all, all kinds of different ways that people have uh, figured out scams or ways to, to take from our churches. I wish I could say here's the one thing to look for, mm-hmm. but you can't because each church is set up um, business-wise differently, um, roles and responsibilities. If, you know, if they think they have everything in place, um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Hmm. Well, I guess that kind of brings me to a part of this that may be really helpful to our churches is that what are some things some of our churches could do to be helpful? You know, you mentioned how they some churches are playing the what if game. Mm-hmm. You know, what could we have done to prevent this? What do we need to be looking out for? Help us out with that a little bit, Charlie. What are some things we can be looking out for? What are some red flags or some indicators or some accounting and accountability practices that maybe we can keep an eye out for? And that's a great question because I, in all the presentations, I kind of boil it down to something normally pretty simple, and that is... 99 times out of 100, the church has their controls in place, but they've become lax. Mm. And it's just because you have Be a... Be diligent. Huh? Yes. They have a familiarity with the people that are in their positions. And again, 99 times out of 100, that's fine. And what we discover is that you have the same policies in place forever, but nobody really reviews them. Nobody adheres to them. And, and I would say, again, 99% of our thefts, somebody has circumvented a system that was in place that just wasn't adhered to. Mm-hmm. So to kind of, I guess, readers digest it down is you want to review your audit procedures, review your procedures on who's counting your plates, 
on, on Sundays. You want to review to make sure that you don't have one person who has the entire keys to the kingdom, as we like to say. Right. And and it's twofold. One, it is actually to protect that person who has in that financial role. Oftentimes they're volunteers or or someone that's been at it forever, and also to protect the congregation. And and as I said, what we we tell our churches is that if you have not done a, a, a review of your policies and your procedures, you should do it as soon as possible. And it's as simple as, you know, just ensuring that the checks that you are writing are paying the uh, the bills you're supposed to be paying, are your accounts up to uh, to speed on, on who has access to them, and anything financial. It's just you have one or two people independently looking at things just to make sure. And then the last piece I will say is, I give all the credit to our financial folks. You know, oftentimes they get put in these roles forever. And 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 it's let's give them a little bit of a break as well. Let's give them some help. And and by helping, you know, take over some tasks and it's twofold. One is you're helping them, two, you're protecting them, and I guess I'm sorry, threefold. And then the third part is that you're ensuring that you know you are doing your due diligence for the church and their funds. Sound like trust and verify. Exactly. That's exactly uh, right. You know, we need to be trusting and caring, and yet let's be smart. Mm-hmm. You know, and sound like too often we've been lax or simply not as smart in the church as we may be in our own personal lives. Or certainly we have, you know, in our churches, lots of business people and lots of folks who are, have uh, uh, accountability in their careers. That's for whatever reason, it hasn't happened here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly right. And, I mean, we have people that transition on and off committees all the time. So sometimes, you know, we lose sight of, of what our procedures are supposed to be. And that's not good, bad, or indifferent. And you're exactly right. It's We just need an accountability component that we're looking for. So at the end of the day, if something were to go wrong, we could say we did everything that we did you know, to try to, to, to have that not occurring, but also um, we had everything in place that we were, you know, trying to uh, alleviate any problems down the road. Yeah. Charlie, tell us about a time in this process of working with churches, and of course we're working with personalities and committees and teams and structures are sometimes a little, you know, little loosey, goosey, to, uh, structures sometimes. That's a technical term, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, uh, but tell us time when something has processed in a good way, that there's been some disaster happened, but in the end, some good things have come out of it. Can you just tell us a story that way about how things may have progressed in some situation that you've worked with? I think the, the, the probably the, the best example would be, and, and I'm going to answer this question kind of sideways, okay. because some of the churches that have had financial irregularities. Some were struggling to come back. Some were struggling in figuring out how they move forward from the standpoint of putting things in place. You, you hate to say that you you know other people can benefit from somebody else's misfortune, but I think what I have seen is oftentimes when I'm giving presentations and I'll talk about certain things that have happened in places, all the other folks in the room are very attentive to say, okay, help us talk through this to make sure that we're on solid ground. And I always, the comment that I always make is hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm. We, as we sit and talk about these things after it has occurred to somebody else six months earlier, we all look brilliant. But when you're in the middle of it and you're going through it, 
you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it, 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 I think it's advantageous for a lot of folks to, to remember that, you know what, this could happen to us, so how do we go about ensuring it doesn't happen to us, or at least putting a firewall up to try to not make it happen. I know that's not exactly the way you, you, you I think you were looking for an answer, but I think that's the best way that I can give an answer on that sure. is, you know, lesson, lessons learned, I think, yeah. yeah. That's the only way to want to uh, compromise any, mm-hmm. any particular situation that's out there. Charlie, in terms of when we work in these situations where there's been a harm done, what is a, a time when you kind of had an aha moment or a moment when you thought, this is more than just dealing with emotion, this is more than dealing with um, a structure that's been uh, abused, but there's a spiritual component here. There's some sort of God thing mm-hmm. here. Can you talk to that just a little bit, how that is a part of this process. I, I think the, the best answer to that is, and for me from a, just a personal standpoint, is if the often, oftentimes when we're kind of going through a really rotten situation in somebody's church mm-hmm. and somebody will have made the comment, you know, Charlie and or even folks from the, the conference level who are financially trained, boy, we really thank, thank you that you're here to help us work through this because we're not really sure we would know how to, how to deal with that. And so in my mind, it's like, okay, I've been, been brought into this position, as I said, the government, as I said previously, was kind enough to give me a, a, a toolbox. Mm-hmm. So now how do I utilize these tools in our churches? For a lot of our churches that, to be honest with you, um, could probably not afford to have somebody come in and do sure. this. And that was the conferences in the district's initial thought process is that any church can call me. There is no billing to the church or anything like that. I, I go out and, and and can help whether the church has two members or they have 20,000 members. Right. And, and that's the thought process. The, the other side of that is, and, where I, and I know, again, this is just a little bit different answer, is that trying to help these churches deal with this issue and oftentimes they'll say oh my gosh we've had x number of dollars taken from us now we can't give those monies to missions or we can't give those monies to we were hoping to hire an organist and you hear those stories and you go to yourself okay let's try to help out some other churches that this doesn't happen and relay that information so i also kind of see myself as a conduit amongst different churches to say hey here's what we're having because i'm not, that's not one of those things you put out in the newsletter hey right. guess what we had a problem we lost a quarter of a million dollars yeah. anybody like to call us and and, right. and so i i kind of can can talk at thirty thousand feet about what somebody else is going through, and and not give up any you know compromises of, of what they're going, but kind of a buyer beware for somebody else. Yeah, but in that process also, it's the kind of thing where you you and the people you've been working with have been able to offer a, a, a service to our congregations that they may not normally have had access to, and certainly help guide them through a process. But it's also, I believe, a bit of a in the church, of course, we think that, you know, clergy are called to be uh, administrators, but everyone's a minister in some way and has, therefore has some sort of a spiritual calling. And this, I believe, is part of your calling, and it can help people sort out how they can make a contribution, how they can do something for the, for the greater good of the kingdom. So, yeah, God, for, for, for that. Um, if people have a need in these types of areas... What should be their first step? Their first step should be is if they think that they have been um, 
some sort of theft has occurred or some sort of whatever, is they actually should call the police department. And and those are the professionals. That's why you pay your taxes. And then the next thing you got to do is notify the conference. Um, that's how I get notified oftentimes or through the district offices. You also should contact your insurance company because it's going to be kind of the triangle of the three that are going to kind of come together and help you through this difficult times. And it's whether you're, you know, working through a process of somebody stealing from you. How, how did they do it? The police department's going to want to know about that. In the insurance world, it's going to be basically you're going to make a claim. Are you bonded? And all those kinds of uh, avenues that are potentially there to recoup some of your losses. And the third piece of it is you notify the conference center or the district level. You can utilize our services and we'll help you work through it. This is how the process is going to be. And oftentimes at the conference level, they can help you in an accounting world to kind of either put things in place or kind of help you through the process as well, saying, you know what, we have some expertise in some areas. So that that, that would be, I guess, the, the, the three things that somebody ought sure. to think about. So like, and we'll put some of these uh, details in our show notes that mm-hmm. we'll put out as well. But the other side of it is the preventative part. It sounds like there is educational things and there's opportunities for people can do to to protect themselves right and as if you go to the conference websites and i'm talking the you know the the, the you know the conference main page inumc.org and you click under the financial world and you work your way down there's a document that we've drafted and it's been up there for a couple years it's called safeguarding your financial assets it's about a 20 page document it will doesn't matter the size of your church or your skill set or your number of your assets you can work through that document and it's put on place. It's put there on place to to help you, kind of make sure. As we talked about previously, are you doing the things that uh, you should be doing? And it's kind of a checklist. And I would highly recommend folks try to hit that. Well, that sounds like a helpful tool. Because mm-hmm. one of the things we always like to do on the Who's United Methodist podcast is to provide helpful, practical tools to strengthen the connection. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if our churches are uh, hurting, be it in the uh, administrative and financial world, then that impacts their ability to do mission and ministry in their communities. So that's what we're about here. Hey, Charlie, just one more thing. What is something fun about you or an interesting fun fact about you or your family or uh, something you like to do? Well, I, I think the fun thing about us is, uh, you know, as they like to say, you always kind of live through your family. And um, I fabulous wife that transferred with me throughout the United States and, and uh, kind of gave her uh, a blessing on lots of moves. And, and she is uh, currently getting her Ph.D. and she had put it on hold for a bunch of years while she supported me. Uh, got a kid that just got married uh, a couple months ago, so it's fun kind of incorporating that into our world. And my last one is in her last six months of graduate school, and hopefully we can get her uh, accomplished out and, and employed. Uh, other than that, I, I that would I, be cool. It would be cool. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed my time with the conference, the people that I've had an opportunity to meet with, and it, it has been a wonderful experience uh, learning uh, different different pe- meeting different people, learning different ways that things go about, and, and I. I've really enjoyed my time here. Well, we've, it's been a pleasure having you on the Hoosier United Methodist podcast today. If people want to be in contact with you or with your office, how can people do that? You can email me. I'm charlie, C-H-A-R-L-I-E, dot round, R-O-W-N-D, at I-N-U-M-C dot org. Kind of the standard 
uh, INUMC uh, email addresses, or I reside oftentimes in the central district offices, and you can call the number here, or they can find me at the conference level offices as well, and uh, I'm more than willing to help. I answer questions over the phone, and you can email me, and we'll help you figure out either how to fix it, or maybe I can find somebody to help you fix it. There you go. Fantastic. Well, and... It's been a pleasure to have you with us, but we didn't even get into some of that NFL stuff. <laughs> we know you've had some fun with uh, the uh, the Colts and mm-hmm. NFL, and there's been some uh, interesting things there. But we'll, maybe we'll talk about that another time. But it's just been a, a pleasure to have uh, Charlie with us today on the Hoosier United Methodist podcast, where we are making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Here's Reverend Andy Kinsey from the Grace United Methodist Church in Franklin with your Methodist Moment. I recently read a comment by Bishop uh, Gary Mueller of the Arkansas Conference that may help us to understand the life of grace and what John Wesley meant by grace. Grace as the presence and power of God in our lives, to be sure, but also grace as unconditional. Grace is God's unconditional gift in Christ, the, the love that God has for us no matter who we are. Also, grace is transformational, that grace doesn't just accept us where we are, but challenges us to go where God wants us to be and to become what God has created us to be. And then grace is invitational, grace as inviting us into a deeper relationship with God and with uh, the life of the church. I'm wondering how we could uh, share these with our people on uh, Sunday mornings and in our teaching about grace as God's unconditional love, grace as God's transforming uh, love in our midst, and then grace as offering that invitation to anyone who would have ears to hear and eyes to see. That's going to do it for this episode of the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast. It's been a great pleasure and privilege to have you join us in our conversation we had today with Charlie Round and to hear from Andy Kinsey. We hope that you join us again next time when we'll be talking to Reverend Glenn Howe from Zionsville United Methodist Church. In the meantime, please uh, spread the good news about the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast to others. You can do so by going to iTunes and finding us, going to the search field, type in Hoosier United Methodist Podcast, and it'll pop up there in the search field, and then subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. Give us a good rating if you if you uh, feel that we deserve it, and then spread the news about it in your own uh, Twitter feeds, Facebook pages, and so on. It would be very helpful and in your local churches. If you have somebody that you think would be a great guest for the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast that's a pastor or a person or a situation or a ministry that is strengthening connection in the United Methodist Church in Indiana, I'd love to hear for it from you. Just uh, give Give us an email at HoosierUnitedMethodist at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. So that'll about do it. Until next time, this is uh, Reverend Dr. Brad Miller from the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast saying, Be Gods. Thank you for listening to the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. We challenge you to be an active listener by subscribing and becoming a vital member of the Hoosier United Methodist Podcast community. Visit us on the web at HoosierUnitedMethodist.com and chat with other members at Facebook.com slash Hoosier United Methodist. Until next time, continue to make disciples and transform the world.